Listening to the Noise Canceling Pod, the podcast about streamlining life, encouraging discourse, and maximizing your mind. Hosted by Frank Boyce and Axel Clark. Welcome back, everyone, to the Noise Canceling Pod. This is episode 43. My name's Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. We're glad that you came back again. Hey, it's only been a little over a month. We're shockingly still on pace to hit our, our near goal of one per month for this miraculous podcast how, how are you feeling about it axel i'm feeling pretty good i think we, we're keeping the pace we're on track like we said to get our i think it's more like 11 per year with a one oh, yeah. month break for the <laughs> holidays right. but right. 11 per year <laughs> but we're on track to get our 44 within the first four years that's you know i, I mean people can say what they want but you know when you throw in a couple six months break, month <laughs> breaks in here and there it's it's not bad so today we're talking about lessons in negotiation. You know, it's it's a topic I'm actually a little surprised we haven't gotten to earlier just from, you know, our backgrounds in government contracts and my my side of negotiation outside of the Air Force as well. But, you know, you even had a class recently that was related to it, and I, I think that happened right after we chose the the topic of the upcoming pod. So can you talk through, you know, a little bit about that class and maybe some takeaways that you had? Sure. So the class was executive level education on understanding industry from the government perspective. Mm-hmm. And so there are pieces of negotiation that we covered in that class. Was that mainly focused on just government or was it was it training designed for, you know, non non government officials or, you know, executive level of for-profit outside the government businesses as well. So the idea is that it was to help government people understand what happens within industry. Hmm. So understand what decisions a CFO is making and what the considerations there they have as they're making decisions. Gotcha. So what would you say? Do you have a couple big takeaways from the class? Sure. So like the, the first one was just to acknowledge that the defense companies we're negotiating with have shareholders and they're a publicly traded company so they they owe it to the shareholders to try to increase shareholder wealth or increase shareholder value Mm -hmm. so a lot of their decisions are going to be shaped around that or basically that's going to be like that has to play into their decision making during negotiations and so one key element of that that i think at least when you think about how do typical negotiations go compared to What's important for uh, increasing shareholder value is that oftentimes in, seems like in negotiations, we're worried about profit and cost. But ultimately, when it comes to increasing shareholder value, free cash flow is important Mm -hmm. because with cash, you can fund additional projects or pay out dividends or buy back stock. And those are the simplest ways to increase the stock price. Yeah, absolutely. So the key point was to say, Yes, margin or profit and cost is important, but are are there other angles we can look at? Are there other issues that we can discuss that 
uh, can help us close the gap during negotiations. Yeah, and I mean, just understanding what, like you said, is behind the decision making is sometimes just as important as the the actual decision at hand. Right. So there is a brief, a short little section on negotiations. Mm-hmm. And at first I thought it was way too basic. So they wanted to talk about, like the first thing they discussed was kind of what I already talked about was single versus multi-issue negotiations. And mm-hmm. then that when you have a single issue negotiation, it's a zero sum game. So you're basically, yep. you're just taking from the other person and everyone loses as, as we move, uh, as positions are moved. Whereas if you have a multi-issue negotiation, then it uh, there's different angles that you can take it. I may have feel more strongly about this issue than you do. And so there's opportunities to uh, increase this is like expanding the pie or whatever, mm-hmm. but find uh, agreements that make both of us more happy. Yeah, for sure. And I think everyone kind of like, you think that, oh yeah, that makes sense. Multi-issue negotiations, like it makes sense. But I still believe that in most cases, at least in many of the negotiations, negotiations I've been at, they are mostly go- come down to just cost and profit mm-hmm. and ultimately price. And so I think even though we all know that multi-issue negotiations can be easier, I think it's for whatever reason we've been like trained to just focus really hard on the uh, cost and profit. And yeah. so I think all that focus probably makes it a little bit harder to to get good deals. Yeah, and I even think you know as you're going through a negotiation, sometimes reframing or almost like going back and summarizing the like the totality of the deal is important as well because so often you can you can have multiple points of give and take throughout a negotiation and you still get down to that that single node like it's it's a a one or a zero like somebody's going to lose and somebody's going to win but if you can kind of help the negotiation zoom out and be like you know here here's the things that we gave on here's the things that you gave on we're we're down to this final point like let's let's find some compromise within the entire deal yeah you know what i mean i think I think sometimes even even coming out to that level is, is helpful. Yeah. One thing that was really interesting was, so they had this do a, a practical exercise to reinforce multi-issue negotiations. Mm-hmm. So the exercise was set up with four key issues or four issues that actually mattered. And so you had uh, price, which each person had was, it was e- equally important to each person. So if I gave $10 and they lost $10, so that was like, both people were, it was equal. And then mm-hmm. it was a situation where someone was a manufacturer and the other person was someone that was wanted their item manufactured. And so then there was quality where I think the, I'm not sure which, who one of them, one of the people wanted quality and the other one was less interested in quality. Mm-hmm. And then there was time to market. So the, uh, I think the manufacturing, well, anyway, so the, uh, the person who was, wanted to sell their item time to market was more important and then there was environmental considerations Mm -hmm. and they threw you a curveball so environmental considerations both people wanted like the most environmental considerations as possible so in a weird way so this is what happened to mine the person uh said well i need high environmental considerations and so i was like oh this is interesting that's exactly what i want but then i realized that if i didn't agree that I also wanted that up front, then I could kind of act like I, I didn't exactly lie, 
but I wasn't exactly like, oh yeah, that, I want that too. Okay, that's a done deal. <laughs> so then it was like part of the give and take of, ah, I guess I can go all in on these environmental considerations if you'll go up in quality. Yeah. But the lesson was that you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works. It works well in a game situation where where you're trying to win the scenario but if it's any sort of a, a long-term partnership or if at the end of the day you guys had had met before you hit that standard you would have had to out yourself as <laughs> right exactly. being kind of shady yeah that's interesting that's fun and- i i feel like the in our industries we don't do those exercises enough like that's such uh- a it's such a good exercise to to use muscles in negotiation where you know your back isn't necessarily to the wall to make that negotiation happen and just to yeah. get, get some more reps in if you will you know I where, 100% where you're trying different strategies and you know getting yourself out there like is is super important yeah 100% agree nice any other big takeaways uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting, at least in the context of the class, was they talked about anchoring. Mm-hmm. So the exercise that they gave us was they said it was a single issue negotiation, but they and they said uh, you have a wide range where you could be successful, but they also gave you the price of the last three deals. And so it was interesting how close all of the agreements were between the two different people like around, I mean, I guess it makes sense. They were all around that previous deal, but there was really no information they gave you that said the the price had to be right around that, yeah. the previous one. And so as we were talking about like the larger purpose of the class, which was to figure out how we could get better deals with the government and finding new ways, like new angles of negotiation, I think it was a good reminder that you're not just going to come in with this new angle and then, then the contractor is going to just like give up all give up everything and come way down right. like they're they're anchored on the last like in a systems contract that you may be on like the 15th lot they're not going to just throw those previous 15 agreements out the window and start fresh so i mean that's just a good reminder i mean that's such a strong <laughs> strong point and you know element of psychology for for us in consumer life too. I mean, you think about like every time Netflix raises their price, like people, you know, poop themselves being like, right. what? It's thirteen ninety nine. Exactly. Like, well, you, you get very attached to where you previously have established. Yeah. And people, uh, fear loss more than they appreciate gain. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If they, lo- if they lowered, if Netflix lowered their price by 50 cents, people would be like, Oh, great. But yeah. Yeah. If either they raise the fifty cents, people lose their mind and are hashtag boycotting. Right. So I've also read this is a different thing, but I read this book called Never Split the Difference, mm-hmm. and it's by this guy who used to be an FBI hostage negotiator. Yeah. And uh, one point that since we're on anchoring, that he or one suggestion he makes is that uh, first of all, you should establish an extreme anchor in negotiations, yeah. uh, and then. But before you make the offer, he suggests that you explain how bad it is and basically like emotionally them anchor them to be prepared for like an extreme offer mm-hmm. before you even say it so that they like 
are ready for it. And then, uh, and then to make the extreme anchor, and then also maybe like with your opening offer, give them a range. So it seems like you're less aggressive. Like, oh, I'm willing to, like your range is extreme, is out there, but you're at least giving them a range. Like I can work with you within this range. That's really interesting. So basically it's a way to get your extreme anchor out there while at the same time trying to not give get them wound up and make, make them feel like you're uh, trying to work with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting as I, I go into a few of my points, but I, I really do feel like negotiation, There, there's a, a vast spectrum of approaches to it. And from my perspective, that is far to one side where, you know, you're using specific tactics and, you know, emotional manipulation to, in the end, get what you want. Yeah. And and I do think it, they're they're effective. They're extremely effective, uh, especially if you're well practiced and well rehearsed, and you know have a solid negotiation strategy and points going into a negotiation. But I I do from a personal standpoint, I, I feel like there's there's a long term cost to you know using those tactics within a relationship. Like you're you're never gonna you're gonna struggle to build long term partnerships with anyone. Uh, even if you get some short-term successes from using those tactics. Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I, this was not one of the key points. It was just mm-hmm. one of the, his points around anchoring. Uh, the The main point, actually, of this book is just talking about finding what the other person values and mm-hmm. figuring out figuring out what that is. And then, but it's also thinking about the emotions of the other person and uh, some. There are some aspects of emotions that are like they're well first of all not everyone's going to be rational in their negotiations so if you don't take emotions into account then like you're probably going to be uh less well off right i mean yeah right. I, mean, I, I do right. think there's some principles of poker that play in really well with you know strong negotiation or you know where the rules kind of change based on the scenario like the the guy with the most or the the woman at the table with the most chips can can bully everybody around because you know what's a huge stack of chips to them is totally different than what is a huge stack of chips and you only have 10 chips left right right so i i, I do think that there's a lot of situational factors involved with where a good negotiation strategy may work one day and you know the next day because somebody is irrational or just wants to win that day might not work at all yeah well and we talked in the class about leverage mm-hmm. and that if you have no leverage then you got to be more creative or you might be in a tougher situation you may have to change your tactics absolutely very true all right so that's all i have what do you have uh what are your key points my four ma- frank's four maxims of negotiation so my first one is be honest Okay, and then, and then I put open in parentheses, um, but if I guess if I was writing this down, there'd be an asterisk along with it as well. But I do think that you know going into negotiation in good faith, um, and you know with your with your cards held out as much as you can from my vantage point, and I I don't have any empirical data behind it. I think it ends up working out really well, and this probably 
the most controversial of mine. Um, but I've just seen it work really well where you go into negotiation, you lay out your key points, what you're looking for, how you view the situation in general, and then you can really jump right into negotiation. Yeah, well, and if you lay out the key points, then you can find those different issues where, oh, you care strongly about this, but the other person doesn't really care a whole lot about it. So that's an area where you can find a quick agreement. And I've just always found there's there's not really any value to withholding information in a negotiation. Like I, th- I think some people would argue like maybe you're maybe you're giving up on something before you need to. But I think as long as you're intelligent, like you're not just going to say like here's my bottom line po- price to begin with, right? Like right. you're not going to be that open. But if if you're if you have an anchor point from before and you know give some sort of an idea of where you want to land and and tell them why, like I always think it's a much better way to start the conversation. I like it. I agree with this one. Uh, number two is know both sides as well as possible. And I think a lot of times the people that want to go into a negotiation and win don't really care what the other side is worrying about or what they they would like to accomplish. And to your point, like talking about companies that need to do well in terms of their general stock position, like they have a lot of considerations coming into a deal and maybe they had a down quarter and they really just need to win no matter what. Right. Well, I think... This gets to the emotional aspects of negotiation to where the if someone feels like you're being empathetic and trying to un- understand their position, mm-hmm. I think it it starts to build trust. And hopefully if you're if you ha- are doing these negotiations over and over again, I think you have to build trust otherwise they're going to be a nightmare. Yeah. But when you empathize with the other person or at least try to understand their point of view, I think that um, that's very helpful. And from the emotional perspective and from getting to getting all the information out on the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, I worked with a, a person probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And he was incredible. Like, I think he studied the person sitting across the table much more than he studied his own position. Mm-hmm. To the point where he'd be, like, talking about new acquisitions in their company and how the last quarter went and what was going on with their leadership and like really just had a a great complete understanding to talk their business with them Mm -hmm. and it you know (laughs) it just gave him so much power at the table to you know have that level of detail and level discussion with them where they were kind of like oh i feel like this guy probably knows our business better than i do yeah the the book uh, never split the difference talks about labels, mm-hmm. and they say you should say it seems like your position is this. It seems like this is very important to you, and that I mean what you're talking about that helps to confirm that yes you understand their position, mm-hmm. and just like you said, it gets them to think okay this the uh, uh, just it gets them to think more about. Um, that you understand what they're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number three is build in some flexibility. So this kind of goes back to your earlier point, you know, where if you go in with just a single, single position, like you're setting yourself up to fail unless you have all the leverage, right? Right. Like you're, you need, you need to understand that for a lot of people, they're not going to leave a negotiation unless you give on something. 
Like that's right. that's just what they they need. They need something. It's kind of like when you send a document to be redlined by a lawyer. Sorry, lawyers, if you're listening, they're gonna redline something. Right. <laughs> like they're gonna find something, to, and it's it, in my experience, it works the same way at a negotiation. Nobody's gonna give on everything. Everybody wants to have some form of victory in in a negotiation. Right. I I think about it like it's a dance. Like you got to go in and like these certain things have to happen. And mm-hmm. if you completely like mix up the the dance or whatever and just go in bottom line up front, then you throw off the rhythm of the dance. Yeah. And I also think by building in some flexibility, you're you're helping yourself in a way where like if you don't build in that flexibility, you're going to be disappointed every time with the right. result. And so if by, you know, making something that, you know, maybe you could win it, right, one time, but you're not going to win it completely every single time. So I think what you were saying earlier about, <laughs> you know, letting the other side know that you, you may not like the deal, like I think that's just as important to kind of frame it for yourself as well. Yeah, I liked it. So the way of looking at it is non-cash offers or thinking about terms. Like I think we underutilize terms mm-hmm. or other non-cash elements uh, in 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 a way that we could use them to s- close the deals. I think it's definitely underutilized. Absolutely. No, that is for sure true in almost every negotiation, actually. Um, the final one is know when to leave. And okay. I, I, I think from my own experience, like... I have spent many, many hours in negotiations that are going nowhere. And at a certain point within a negotiation, like there's just a time for everyone to say, you know what, let's pack things up today. We need to reevaluate where we are. Uh, and, and this goes for whichever side of the table you're sitting on. Like I think you, I think you need to know when to end a negotiation on the government side just as much as you do on the contractor side. Now, it's harder for a contractor because there may be some, some terms that they've already agreed to that you know, they can't just walk away from. But within my own you know, non-government side negotiation, there's times where you're just spinning your wheels and you got to know when to say, all right, guys, we're not going anywhere. Let's try this again another day. Now, so you're saying walk, temporarily walk away. Yeah. No, I said no one to leave, not no one to walk away. Got it. I okay. think there there is a point to, to be had with knowing when to walk away. But I, I think there's even more value to taking a temporary pause and, and kind of resetting the negotiation. Got it. Yeah, I think I like that. Pretty underutilized, even by me. I mean, it's hard to do that because it's so awkward. <laughs> oh, right. A lot of times. Right. I think, like, if you're, uh, like, I a typical negotiation is buying a new car. Mm-hmm. And I think when you feel like you have the freedom to walk away and you're not like dead set on buying the car on that specific day, I think it gives you a lot of additional leverage. Yeah. I mean, at a very personal level, we all know this is true when we think about like a job interview, when we've kind of gotten it out of the blue and we're not really, we're like, nominally interested or curious to hear about it but like you're not you're not really gung-ho about it like you interview so much better because you like you <laughs> right. don't care and you you come off with this different level of confidence that you could you could try to project in a job interview 
but it's it's probably going to get lost in either nervousness or anxiousness or eagerness some other <laughs> some other form and some other emotion is going to swallow up that chill factor that you just can't manufacture yep 100 percent true but yeah i mean i think that's that's totally true in in negotiation if if one side needs the other more than the one side like that that's some leverage just in itself yeah well cool what about let's just let's just take a a tiny step back you know outside of your classes like what what do you see as like your your biggest lesson from all your years in negotiation Hmm. i think preparation is key and then also knowing your team and knowing like knowing the other person's team mm-hmm. one one thing that i i will always remember is it, when i first started negotiating i had you have these engineers who are giving you positions mm-hmm. and so my engineer would would before we did did the sat down and negotiate they'd say i'm taking 25% of these hours these hours are outrageous I can't believe this. And so then I would build this 25% cut into my objective. Mm-hmm. And then we'd sit down to negotiate. And after like three minutes, the engineer would look at me and go, oh, they're right. It will, it, it's going to take all these, <laughs> all these hours. <laughs> and so then I was like, okay, great. Now I have the rest of the negotiations to make up these 25% cut that you <laughs> said you would take that's not going to happen. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough to deal with in a negotiation <laughs> to keep <laughs> yeah. your cool and build rebuild your negotiation objectives on the fly. Yeah, that kind of goes against everything. That's a good one, and I do think knowing your team is is a great one too because sometimes when you're sitting in a team negotiation somebody throws something out there and you're like oh no i i wish you had not said that right like it either right creates just like this very argumentative thing or you know sometimes like i said the way that i open a negotiation is so different than a lot of people that i work with just in terms of being open and honest and sometimes mm-hmm. like that opening statement if it's just like a cold fish being flung onto the table. Like right. basically like tell me what your best bid is or get the hell out of here. It's like <laughs> it's like really the tone that some of these negotiations have. Yeah. And it's just it's such a bad way to start a conversation because I mean that in the end that's what a negotiation is. Like a lot of times we, we want it to be so transactional because that that alleviates stress to a certain degree. But like if if it can be more conversational people feel more comfortable and you end up reaching much better deals. Yeah. Particularly when you're negotiating over and over again, it's not just a one time, right. A one time thing. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think that's a great point to say, you know, especially the four points I just went through. These, these are more guidelines to live by within a partnership. Whereas like buying a car, like I don't necessarily know if you want to be, totally honest with that i, I think sometimes i mean i still am when i go in and negotiate a car mm-hmm. i tell them like here's how much i want to pay like yeah now they're not always going to be honest be like well i need to talk to my four levels of managers first right um there's a lot of ways for them to obscure that but i i do think it just i don't know it creates such a better environment and 
it gets you to your objectives a lot faster too. Yeah. I'm dancing back around. But yeah, that's a really good one. What about you? I mean, I think it's it's a lesson that I've learned in a lot of different scenarios where <laughs> I'm actually the place that I learned it the most this is going to sound very off the wall was when I was in charge of uh, urinalysis testing for a okay. week. Okay. And it just made it so clear to me because before this I was always like just being honest, a little nervous when I had to go in for urinalysis. Mhm. Uh, for everyone listening, that's another name for P test. And so I was the person who who was the observer for like a week and a half and it just made yeah. me realize like the person that's there doesn't want to be there. Like they they're not like judging your act actions, right? Mm-hmm. And so the lesson for that and like the lesson for negotiations is you know, people are always just gonna be people. Like they're not gonna make decisions based on a robotic strategy. And so you, you can't ever go into a negotiation being nervous or like like we said, like you need to go in with a chill attitude where you need to be confident in what you're doing and you can't be <laughs> thrown off. Even in the situation that you gave where, you know, your negotiation objective may be completely off. Like if that was me, I would have probably been like, yeah, uh, <laughs> we need to reframe this a little bit from our side because our previous estimate had thought your hours were much over inflated. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've just seen that time and time again where like we, we kind of project these larger images of everyone else's behavior and the people that we're negotiating with. Like somebody comes in, it's, he's the VP of something or he's a CFO and you're like, oh, this guy is this many levels above me. Well, like that doesn't mean he knows shit about what you're talking about, right? Like right. it doesn't mean that he knows anything that you're talking about or really maybe anything at all other than his small part of the business. Mm-hmm. And so like, I don't know. For me, it's just like realizing that if you understand both sides really well and you understand your position, like somebody isn't going to be able to walk all over you in any negotiation. Yeah. One thing you mentioned that, that just came to mind is that if you are nervous and you're talking too much, those are the traits of someone who's lying. Yeah. And so it creates a problem because you're giving off the signal that you're not telling the truth when really it's just you're nervous or um, uncomfortable. And for me, I mean, if, if I was talking a lot and, you know, like basically going from a script to someone was like, here's what you need to say in a negotiation, I probably would be a little nervous because it's, it's not an actual conversation. Yeah. And I think that's why people get so nervous in negotiations too, because it's not, it's not normal. It like feels out of place. It feels like you're playing a role in a play. Right. Oh, right. I a hundred percent agree with that. Where you're like, all right, this guy's coming in stage left. He's going to, he's going to fire off this thing, this zinger to try to cut down on their hours or, you know what I mean? Like almost like mm-hmm. pre-planned how your play's going to go. Well, that's what I was talking about. It's like a dance or mm-hmm. a play like that you have to go through to get to this agreement. I like the dance one more than, more than a play because I, I, I do see it as it, it is, it is a dance. Sometimes very, very awkward two-step, <laughs> yeah. for sure. 
Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any other, you know, huge takeaways from what the one thing that I found is, you know, I've been in a lot of different rooms for negotiation and the ones where people are just talking and have a familiarity are mm-hmm. so much better to be a part of and mm-hmm. and things get done so much faster. Like the yeah. times where like there's been some sort of friction or something hasn't been going well between between the two companies like those get really hard and it's not really for any reason like a lot of times it's not even like those are hard negotiations it's just like the mm-hmm. relationship is broken and crappy right and like, and like you just can't talk to one another mm-hmm. so i don't know maybe maybe that's another <laughs> maxim that it's like a relationship i think it is definitely yeah, yeah. yeah. No, for sure Will you have any other key points? That's it. That's all I have. Yeah. Well, I, I do think one of my takeaways is is getting my team into some into some more role playing scenarios, uh, just for fun at our at our next quarterly meeting. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited about that. I don't think we practice this enough. I think there's an assumption that we do it all the time and that we're good at, but we don't. I don't think there's enough practice around negotiating. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's it's basically like if every Saturday you went out and ran a 5k, but like you never actually ran any other time. Mm -hmm. That's basically how we do negotiations. Right. Like you're going to do it periodically, but you don't ever spend any time properly training. Yeah. Myself included, honestly. Right. I agreed here. Yeah. So that's cool. My current job is really interesting because I'm I'm basically negotiating pe- with people from my own company. Oh, huh. So it's it's a really unique dynamic in terms of, you know, the give and take at that level and like it's very obvious to me my first point of being honest and open. Like that that saves me so much time because there's plenty of ways that I could obscure the truth and and hide hide in my wizard of oz seat mm-hmm. and it would that be so your business unit would perform better um, like what's the advantage of what's the advantage in the negotiations that you're that you, you could be trying to to grab yeah i mean i i control the pricing so like we could keep the price higher depending on how open i was with the person that was I was discussing it with. Okay. So, I mean, I I wouldn't do that artificially ever. Mm-hmm. But there there is a lot of you know what was it the last time, you know like right. even on even on smaller deals like there there is a lot of that and there's also a lot of just recency bias for you know trying to from my seat trying to view the market as day-to-day as possible mm-hmm. and that's that's difficult because i see so many deals across the whole country <clears throat> that there is a lot of recency bias of like what's coming in the last two weeks shaping my decision making for something that maybe isn't that related oh i see so you have like a deal within the last two weeks but maybe this other deal for the same product came in a year ago and so you're trying to weigh between the year ago deal and then this deal from two weeks all these deals from two weeks ago right yeah we may have not renegotiated in three years sometimes Mm -hmm. and so like comparing it mentally to something that just came in 
last week that may have been negotiated every year in the past three years. It's 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 a challenge, really. Like I think recency bias is one of the the hardest things to overcome from a business standpoint. Yeah, I think it takes a like there is a big anchoring about what the deal was last time, mm-hmm. and it's going to take a lot of work to convince them that something has changed from last time that's going to allow you to move off that anchor. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes the other way too, it's going to take a lot for them to convince me to move off the anchor last time based on the factors that they're describing to me. Right. It's probably more that way actually. Okay. Where I'm firmly anchored as to what the last deal was. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic to, to be within your own company and, and kind of fighting things out sometimes. But that's all I got. All right. That's all I got also. You kept it under 40 minutes. You're welcome, listeners. <laughs> yeah. It's the perfect commuting length podcast. Great point. <laughs> all right. So uh, with that, go out. Check out Never Split the Difference. It's a book on negotiations that I thought was pretty interesting. And get out there and get some practical experience trying it out. I love it. I'm Frank Boyce. And this is Axel Clark. Go out there and get yourself a good deal. Thank <laughs> you.